The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God still, and trust in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house. If there were not, I should have told you. I am now going to prepare a place for you, and after I have gone and prepared you a place, I shall return to take you with me, so that where I am, you may be too. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you know me, you know my Father too. From this moment, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, let us see the Father, and then we shall be satisfied. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, said Jesus to him, and you still do not know me. To have seen me is to have seen the Father. So how can you say, let us see the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak as from myself. It is the Father living in me who is doing this work. You must believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Believe it on the evidence of this work, if for no other reason. I tell you most solemnly, whoever believes in me will perform the same works as I do myself. He will perform even greater works, because I am going to the Father. The Gospel of the Lord. There's one thing in particular I want to focus on this morning. If I'm honest, I stole the idea from Father Andrew. I didn't know what to talk about. Because the way the truth in the life gets so much attention, doesn't it? And in a way, it speaks for itself. So I decided instead to focus on something that St. Peter says in his letter. It's the priesthood of us as people gathered into the people of God. People of the Word, people anchored in the deep, deep identity of Jesus who then go out as priests in the world. And we know that whatever Jesus says of himself in his word, take today's reading for example, he shares in some way with us. Most simply, he shares his divine sonship with us, his beloved sonship. You are fittingly considered a beloved son or a beloved daughter of God, not by default and not by right, but by gift, by grace, by privilege by adoption. Baptism is a sharing in the filial relationship that the Son alone has with the Father, but we now share in that relationship. Nothing gives us the right to call God our Father except the Son, who pours His Spirit into our hearts so that we all can cry out together, Abba, Father. So what does St. Peter say of us, beloved children of God? Set yourselves close to Him, he says, So that what you do in Jesus' name may be as acceptable to the Father as Jesus himself is. Think about that for a second. Everything we do in the Lord's name, please God, is as acceptable to the Father as the Lord himself, his beloved Son. For we are, and I quote here, a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood. There's 101 ways to misread this. One is to think that God favours some races more than others, and people even think this, giving us licence to oppress or to look down on certain people, or to consider ourselves somehow inferior on the basis of our ethnicity. Nothing could be more foreign to the mind of God. It's garbage. Do you know what the mystery of Christmas is? It's not that God came and became a little Hebrew boy. It's that in the incarnation, all flesh has been taken up into the divine life. Jesus has drawn all people up into himself. It's not so much that he's come down to us. Certainly he's come down. But there's an upward movement which is more important. And look around at all this flesh of every color and shade and, and origin. This is the body of Christ. This is his beloved son with whom he's well pleased. God may have entered humanity via a certain culture, but he's in no way remained there, sort of closed himself in. But he sent his disciples to the ends of the earth. Christian missionaries have gone all across the globe, sowing the gospel as they've, as they've gone. So God is no racist and neither shall we be. All people can know God through their natural reason. As we look at the goodness of life, the whole universe testifies to God. But then God desires more than that. The Father's end goal is not that we would give assent to his existence. That's silly in a way, if that's all we're trying to do here, proclaim the existence of God. Rather, the Father wants all of us, his children, to be overcome by his love forever. This is the Father's will. And it's so pleased him to make his love known in these ways that we're familiar with, through Israel, through Jesus, through the church, which is his body, through you and I, through the sacraments, through creation, of course, through our charity and our compassion, little by little, respecting the freedom and the slow ways that we each climatize, if you like, to the presence and the goodness of God, to his grace and his truth. Next is the royal priesthood. This is a curious term, royal priesthood. Maybe our minds are influenced a little bit by the recent coronation of King Charles III. I don't know if everyone's watched it. But again, we should beware of silly ideas that we've seen in the world. Royal priesthood doesn't refer to the apparent pomp that maybe we've seen and we've come to call clericalism, this kind of uppityness of another class of people, as if there were such a thing. Likewise, it shouldn't inspire the laity uh, to a kind of retaliation to this pomp, uh, trying to overpower clerical leadership. Both of these would be mistaken. We might say that what St. Paul is talking about is the priestly, the prophetic, and the kingly office that all the baptized, ordained people are baptized people too, that all the baptized share in. We share in the priesthood, the prophethood, and the kingship of our Lord. So what does it mean to be priest, which is very profound in today's readings? Most fundamentally, it is to offer sacrifice. This is the function of a priest, to offer sacrifice. We'd be foolish to think that only the ordained priest offers sacrifice. Are not your whole lives sacrificial, poured out in blood and sweat and tears for the well-being of your family, for your community, 
We are all operating in highly sacrificial ways. And we hear this invitation at every single Mass. You'll hear this later on. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours would be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. We're doing something sacral, sacrificial. In fact, pay close attention to the amount of times that sacrifice is mentioned in the Mass. If someone tells you the Mass is just a meal, I won't complete that sentence. But tell them, well, I will complete it, but I'll soften the blow. Tell them it's a sacrifice, okay? Because it is. This is what we're doing. You're doing it here and now most profoundly in the most corporate and universal way you can as the body of Christ gathers. But you're doing it, you were doing it long before you came here in every hour of the week. Don't think that just because there's an altar here, it's the only one in Gladstone. There are no dearth of altars that we can find in our lives. When I suffer all kinds of emotions, which are bound to come before me, my heart becomes an altar to sacrifice. When I toil at work, the world itself in which I work is an altar. When the family gathers at mealtime, the kitchen and the dining table are, in a very real way, an altar. When I finally bring the day to a close, my bed too, my place of repose, where I lay down my flesh, is an altar. And sacrifice, finally, is not something miserable. Don't think, oh, we're called to sacrifice, what a, what a great burden. On the contrary, primarily we offer what is called a sacrifice of praise. Remember the word Eucharist literally means thanksgiving. And that is what our whole lives are essentially about. This great perpetual act of thanking God for being God. And thanking him for sparing us the burden of being God. <laughs> Another day we can expand on what we mean by prophet and king, but I'd simply say these two small things as we approach the Eucharist. Firstly, being a prophet does not mean telling the future, okay? Get this clear in your mind. It means telling the present, having eyes that actually see, having ears that actually hear. It means listening to God now and speaking with God now and then mediating that truth now, presently. The prophet says what everyone might like to say, but for whatever reason, they can't. Uh, the prophet doesn't tickle ears, as many of our false prophets do, but touches and potentially transforms hearts with the grace of God. You are called to be prophetic. You must be. The world cries out for it from you. Secondly, it is impossible to be priestly, prophetic, or kingly in isolation. You can't be one and not the others. They all go together. A priest who is not prophetic and kingly is obsessed with pain. Sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. That's not what you're called to. A prophet who is not kingly or priestly loves the sound of his or her own voice. A king who is not priestly or prophetic loves the comfort and the view of the throne but has little care for responsibility that comes with reigning as someone in God's kingdom, shepherding. So finally, to be who we are, priests, prophets, kings, beloved children in God's kingdom, we must draw near now to the eternal high priest. 
In one of the prayers that we're going to say here, it says, He is priest, victim, and altar. This is our Lord, Jesus, who is also our way, our truth, and our life.